to donate to a faith-based group to help those affected by the tornadoes in Tuscaloosa, please consider a donation to Compassionate Coalition of Tuscaloosa County, P.O. Box 1507, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 35403. That's Compassionate Coalition, P.O. Box 1507, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 35403. Hi, it's Rabbi Jim Egolf. I want to thank you so much for joining me. This week we're going to delve into the Torah portion known as Kiddoshim, or the Holiness Code, which is found in the book of Leviticus. And we're going to talk a little bit about the events of this past week, how this Torah portion fits into them, uh, but also entertain the questions about what does this Torah portion really implore us to be as Jews and as humans. You can always reach me at ravjim at aol.com or you can always call me at 610-624-3441. Shalom. It was an amazing day. People gathered together for a purpose to see something that was only rarely witnessed. Throngs came together. And it's almost as if the purpose was known, the the, the objective clear, and the roles as if self-explanatory. It was an event defined by its surroundings, and the surroundings told you of the event. As if that were not enough, the tears in people's eyes conveyed that something incredible had happened. This was the moment related to our Torah portion tonight. In Exodus, we're told Kiddush, we were to be a Mamleka Kohanim and a Goy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy people. In this week's Torah portion, Kiddushim, we are told that what that holiness actually entails. We are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people, and yet what might we think is defined in that holiness? Our Torah portion tonight does not begin to list castles and crowns, taxes and territories. Rather, it calls upon us to do something quite different. We are told that our greatest acts of being a godly, noble kingdom of priests is to observe Shabbat, and then we are to tend to these things. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap to the corner of the field or or gather the gleanings, that is, the pieces that you drop along the way. When you harvest your vineyard, you shall not gather the fallen fruit, You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie. You shall not swear by God's name falsely. You shall not profane God's name. You will not oppress your neighbor or rob him or keep the wages of a day laborer until the next day. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. 
You shall not show less respect to the poor person or favor the rich person, but with righteousness you shall judge the people. You shall not go up and out as a talebearer, neither should you stand idly while someone bleeds beside you. You shall not hate another in your heart. You shall rebuke thy neighbor and not sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against any of the children of thy people. For you shall love Adonai, your neighbor as yourself. I am Adonai. To be a kingdom of priests and a holy people is to be called to actions to make a better society, a better world. In this passage did the author of the Torah see the greatest acts of nobility. When we were charged to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people, there was no mention of crowns or medals or wars. For nobility was found through the righteous actions of each person and of the entirety of the people. It was an amazing day. People gathered together for a purpose to see something that was only rarely witnessed. Throngs gathered for the purpose was known, the objective clear, and the roles as a self-explanatory. It was an event defined by its surroundings, and the surroundings told you of the event. If that were not enough, the tears in people's eyes conveyed that something incredible had happened. In case you missed it, there was a wedding on Friday. Actually, there were several weddings on the, this past Friday, but the wedding revolved around one person who was considered noble by birth to someone who's being thrown into a world that seems to have a rule for almost everything in order to prove that it is noble. Now, if we were to look at the news about the wedding, and I use the word term news loosely, we could be led to think that to aspire to be noble is about waiting for a prince to make up his mind. Hence the nickname of the new Duchess of Cambridge, Wady Katie. We could think that nobility is about how someone dresses for a wedding for two billion people. We could think that being noble is having to never show any annoyance for the 1.99999 billion extra guests who presume that they should have actually been on the original guest list. And the fact that the New Zealand Postal Service is probably firing its art director because that former art director decided to put out a two-stamp set of the new happy British couple, smiling, yet to use the stamps separately would require one to tear the happy couple apart so that the stamps could be put on two different letters. If you listen to our news organizations, this is what people focus upon when looking at nobility. The wedding of the groom's father also started with all this pomp and circumstance. Yet the years afterwards sent Diana and Charles on almost two diametrically separate paths. One would later be portrayed as talking to his vegetables in a caricature puppet as a caricature puppet in a British comedy show, and the other would be seen removing landmines from a formal battle zone in an effort to save children. 
some of the life lessons borne out by the wedding witnessed by about a third of the world today include the following. No matter how grand a wedding is, it does not translate into the relationship that's needed to keep a marriage alive. Secondly, weddings are built on hope, but hope is not perfect. Hope is what we need when things are least perfect. And in hoping for perfection or that perfect moment, we will almost always find defeat. Lastly, nobility is not a birthright or a position. It is a series of actions. For this reason, God could turn a bunch of, to, a bun to a bunch of ex-slaves and tell them of their nobility, even when the wounds from the last beating inflicted by their former taskmasters had not yet healed. It was an amazing day. People gathered together for a purpose to see something only rarely witnessed. Throngs gathered for the purpose was known, the objective clear in the roles as if self-explanatory. It was an event defined by its surroundings, and the surroundings told you of the event. As if that were not enough, the tears in people's eyes conveyed to you that something incredible had happened. From 1991 to 1994, I served as the student rabbi in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The amount of devastation inflicted on the downtown area of Tuscaloosa is beyond the imagination. But I know people who live there and work there. And as of this, as of this recording, I am relieved to find that none of the Jewish community was injured or hospitalized, as far as I know, though there was some property destruction. In one of the videos shot the amateur photographers huddled in McFarland Mall. This mall is about half to three quarters mile away from the former synagogue, Emmanuel, where I led some of my first services. Beyond me, though, you could see people reaching out to help other people as the shock wore off and they gathered to help each other as best they could. In a small city of 83,000, in an earthquake in Japan, in any tragedy. We don't need to wait to be told what to do. We often witness people doing that which is noble, caring, sacred, as defined by our Torah portion. The irony for us is that it is easy to do this in the face of great suffering and need. It seems to be much more difficult to find this in our everyday lives. To watch people get in their trucks and go through the debris and take it upon themselves to bring the wounded to hospitals. It is easy in the midst of a tragedy to be caring, sacred, noble, and have the acts of heroism we've seen this week. What would it take, or does it have to take a tragedy to see that a week from now a month from now, years afterwards, to bring this out of people and let them relate to each other as humans. Perhaps this is why God called us to be a holy nation and to define the sacred work that would define our nobility. We look upon nobility, but know that a royal wedding dress does not make a royal couple 
noble. It is up to this couple to determine who they will be and who they will not be to those who seek to surround them, sometimes with love, but more often with their expectations. There is an action and a question I leave you with. The first is that I want you to do what I did to begin Shabbat by going and donating to the Red Cross or to the address that I will be including on this podcast site. Do a noble act and help people who need help in this tragedy. Aspire to holiness by acting by acting holy. The question we need to leave with is how do we answer this question? What actions will I take which will be called noble regardless of what I think? What obligations will I take upon myself even if no one will recognize the sanctity found within them? For us to be noble is about our relationships with ourselves first, which then extend out to others. Yet first that nobility, responsibility, accountability, and sacredness has to be found within. And only then can it be reflected forth. It is what God looks for in us. Our task is to find it, to nurture it, and then allow it to radiate from within ourselves and be reflected to our world. Shalom.